Hey, I'm Roberta Plevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us for a month of holiday magic with the stories and guests that you've been asking for. Happy holidays, Huns. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. It's our Christmas episode, and I'm really excited because we are talking about an MLM that we've never talked about before, but we did hint about it in our live episode from Dallas. It's the Body Shop at Home, and we have Jules from Australia telling us all about it. Plus, we talk about MLMs in the 90s, some feminism, some patriarchy, and what Australian MLMs look like. So it's a really cool episode, and I love when we get to talk to different people from different countries and get different perspectives on the same exact scam because, you know, we say it all the time. It's the same, and it spoilers, it really is. And since it's our Christmas episode, I'm going to tell you some old world stories that I was told as a child about the Yulnisa, which is Danish for Christmas elves. Uh, I kind of think that these little guys are the precursor to the modern day elf on the shelf, um, but maybe not the madness. But I think maybe once you hear the stories, you can kind of see how elf on the shelf became what it is now. So my mom's side of the family is from Copenhagen, Denmark. And my mom and dad went back to visit um, a couple months before he passed, actually. And she brought my kids their very own Yul Nisa. Um, I've had mine for quite a bit. We call him the little old man. And he's seen better days. He's been chewed up <laughs> by the dog a couple times. Uh, you know how it is. So the Yul Nisa that we have, they are handmade. They don't look anything like an elf on the shelf. They're actually very small. And um, some of them are poseable, some of them are not, but they're all handmade by little old women in Denmark, which I think is really cool. And they're all one of a kind, which I also think is really cool. When they went back to visit, my mom went to this woman who lived on the edge of the forest and who made and knit these little Yulnisa. Um, And so the woman told my mom that what she does is she goes into the forest and she finds the elves, and then she comes back, and she knits their likeness into these Yulnisa, and then sells them to families, you know, for Christmas. So <laughs> the Yulnisa is uh, the Christmas version of a Nisa, and this is kind of all just Scandinavian, although in Sweden, I know that they're called Tomta, and not Nisa, but it's potato, potato, kind of. Um <laughs> And if you're Danish or Norwegian or Scandinavian or Swedish or anything like that, and you have more Yule Nisa or Yule Thompson stories, please email me and tell them because these are really some of the most joyful memories of my childhood, learning about the elves from my aunt Corrine, who actually lived in Denmark for quite a bit of time. So my mom's family moved to the United States during the German occupation of Denmark during World War II. So I am the second generation uh, American born of Danish immigrants. And my Aunt Corrine would come to visit on the holidays and she'd bring all the traditional Danish food like pickled cabbage, and rice pudding and pickled herring and all of the things. Uh, not a huge fan. That's fine. 
But, you know, it's kind of like the stuff that you were forced to eat as a kid that you're like, I'm good now. It's that kind of stuff. So Anissa essentially is an elf, uh, like a house elf. And in Denmark, families have Nisa, kind of like a Dobby situation. And basically, they do the little chores when everybody's asleep that the family can't handle during the day, like mending the shoes and, you know, fixing the clothes, maybe doing the dishes or bringing the eggs in, just little farm chores and little house chores. And a Yule Nisa is a Christmas elf. And I was always told that during the Christmas season, your Yule Nisa, everyone in the family has their own and they sort of move around the house and they sort of check on you and they talk to Santa. They sort of get the down low of your behavior. And the fun part is just sort of finding this little man in the house. They didn't really ever do anything naughty. There, there weren't any like flower angels or big messes or anything like that. My Yule Nisa never painted my face or anything. It just moved around and it was just this little... I don't know, just this fun little extra tradition. We had our advent calendars and we had our Yule Nisa. So my favorite story that my Aunt Corrine tells is not specifically a Yule Nisa story. It's just a regular Nisa story, but it happens at Christmas. And these are the sort of cheeky little stories where you get that naughtiness. So once upon a time in Denmark, there was an old man who lived on a farm and he had a Nisa. Now, his Nisa was like the best Nisa ever. He took care of everything because the old man who was now a widow, lived alone, and was not really in the best shape to handle this big farm. So the little Nisa would take care of all of the stuff. He would tend to the pigs and the cows and the chickens, and he would really just get dirty and make sure that the farm was running. Old man really appreciated that the Nisa was such a good companion, and he would leave him little treats out. Well, one year, the old man decided that he really wanted to give his Nisa a beautiful gift to really show him his appreciation. And he spent all of his money to buy the Nisa, the most beautiful white leather boots that you have ever seen. They were gorgeous. They were shiny and pretty, the most pristine white. And on Christmas morning, the Nisa opened his gift and he was flabbergasted. He was so floored that this old man would have spent this money to buy him literally the most beautiful pair of white leather boots that you have ever seen. Well, shortly after receiving this very, very thoughtful gift, the Nisa stopped doing his chores. He stopped bringing the eggs. He stopped cleaning up the horse pens. He stopped giving the pigs their slop. And the farm started to fall into disrepair. And the old man, who couldn't handle it himself, started to feel really personally offended. And he was like, I can't believe this. This Nisa has been so good to me for so long. And I finally find the money and get him these beautiful shoes to show my appreciation and he stops doing all of the things that I need him to do. So he confronts his Nisa and he tells them this and he says, I'm disappointed in you. And the Nisa is taken aback and he says, oh no, no, you have it all wrong. It wasn't that I wasn't appreciative. I stopped doing the chores because I didn't want to get my boots dirty. <laughs> so it's that, it's this little cheekiness. Uh, and then also my aunt used to tell me, <laughs> The reason that Danish people have such long, skinny noses is that if you don't leave out treats for your Nisa, when they have nothing else to do at night, they creep into your bedroom and they pull on your noses and your ears. <laughs> and that's why that's why people's noses and ears get bigger as they get older. It's because their house elves are trolling them at night. <laughs> 
but it's one of my favorite stories to tell about the Nisa and the Yule Nisa. Yeah, they're just happy little elves that live in the forest or in your house if you're lucky enough. And some of them work for Santa, apparently. And some of them have goats, too. There's also a Yule goat. <laughs> There's the whole thing. And it was really interesting because um, as a child, we always had all of these goat ornaments on our tree. <laughs> a lot of Danish flags and a lot of straw ornaments, uh, specifically goats. And I was always very curious as to why we had goat ornaments. But it's a thing. It's a Danish Christmas tradition. So... Um, I hope you learned something, and I hope you enjoyed listening to a silly little story about the Nisa. And I hope that when you look at your elf on the shelf, you look back to his earliest, earliest ancestors, the Yule Nisa and the Yule Tompton, and uh, maybe you give him a little break, and you give him a nice pair of shoes, and maybe he doesn't have to make a big mess in your kitchen every single time. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so I just I wanted to share that every year when Elf on the Shelf comes out and people are like, what is this craziness? Why do we do this? I say, well, it is uh, it is actually Scandinavian tradition. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just been appropriated by Americans. <laughs> anyway, since it is Christmas, if you do celebrate, I would like to wish you a very Merry Christmas from me and mine to you and yours. Merry Christmas, Hans. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I'm really excited today because I love talking about MLMs from other countries. I love talking to people that live in other countries and all of the different things that happen in MLMs and just sort of how it's the same and how it's different. And it's a curious thing. And so when I got the email from somebody from Australia wanting to talk about an MLM that you guys ask me about all the time, the body shop at home, I was like, yes, obviously we haven't talked about that. And I don't know anything about Australian MLMs. So I'm really excited to welcome to the show, Jules. It's nice to meet you, Jules. How are you? G'day. Nice to meet you. <laughs> very excited to be here. Very fangirling from down under. <laughs> fangirling from down under. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so what part of Australia do you reside in? I'm on the east coast of Australia near Sydney. Big continent we have down here. And so I'm on the Sydney side. To be fair, I've never been to Australia, so I don't know where anything is. But I do know Sydney because of Wallaby Way and Nemo. Oh, how gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Bluey, a lot of American listeners will know Bluey for the young ones. So, yeah. Okay. That's really fun. So we've only ever had one other Aussie on the show, and that was Mike Rinder to talk about his time in Scientology last year. We've never talked about MLMs from Australia we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the body shop at home. But first, I want to talk about Australia and the MLMs that are there that maybe we wouldn't know about in the States. Sure. Or any other place that people listen, because you guys listen from all over. It's wild. Oh, look, it's a funny place, Australia. We're sort of like the little cousins that sit down here in Australia and New Zealand. And for a long time, like I was born in the 80s, but we have 
culturally, anything that Americans do, we loved it. So whenever things go sort of gangbusters or big in America, eventually they filter down to Australia. And in the 80s and the 90s, that's when the MLMs popped up, but we didn't know them as MLMs. They were like, oh, we've got a little Avon lady and she sells this product. Or, I mean, these days we have others and bigger MLMs, but back in those days we had Tupperware. I do remember Tupperware from the 80s. I lived in a little town in the middle of the outback and we still had Tupperware ladies. Really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we had door-to-door salespeople. Tupperware ladies in the outback. We had encyclopedia door-to-door sales. We had, I don't know if you guys have them in America, but they were really big in Australia. The little golden books. Have you heard of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still have some and they were door-to-door salespeople. So my mum bought them for us, you know. And what else did we have? We had mail order catalogs. They kind of come and went. And as the internet came along, they sort of fizzed out a little bit. But, yeah, so... Fast forward to today, we have a DSA, we have the Direct Selling Australia, we have, and if you go to their website, you will see all of the MLMs there. Big ones for women are like Sensi and the Body Shop at Home and what else is there? Norwex? Uh Uh-huh, Norwex, yeah. That's cleaning products. Yeah. We have Amway, of course we have Amway, but... It's funny how Australians move through like pop culture. So if it's made fun of in a movie or an American sort of show like Seinfeld or something like that, we pick up on it here. So I knew about Amway, I'd heard about it, but I remember watching as a teenager that movie Go. There was a movie called Go and they're sitting at the table as these two young guys. I can't remember the name of the two actors that are the couple and they're like, And I can remember that and going, oh, that's so creepy. Imagine if you're at someone's house and they tried to sell you Amway. So we knew what it was, but we are still quite naive to it, to the whole MLM. And I think people are starting to wake up a little bit and that's why they're not as big down here. Yeah. I remember that scene in Go. I remember like looking back, I remember all these MLM scenes and all these movies and like, I just missed it. I just missed it the first time. And it's funny how like I was in the MLM and I watched that How to Become a God in South Central. In Central Florida. Central Florida. And I was like, oh, isn't that so cringe? And I'm thinking, and then it wasn't until later. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> but it was funny. And if you can make it funny, people will always understand that, you know, can relate more. Absolutely. That was our experience as kids. Uh, my mum wasn't actually ever into anything like that. She was working a bit too hard, but it was definitely the stay at home mums that would have the party. Obviously, we didn't have the communication systems that we have now. So parties were it, really. You know, there was no direct contact for MLMs. And it didn't seem as nasty, you know, then. It was innocent. It had an innocence about it. Yeah. 
I can remember back in the nineties. And again, we were kids in the nineties. So what do we remember? And what was reality? Sometimes they're not the same, but I remember like my mom having parties like stamp parties or bag parties or jewelry parties. And it was very innocent. It did not seem predatory. It did not seem super pressure other than regular sales. Like obviously I'm putting on this Mary Kay lipstick. They're probably going to want me to maybe buy something. Like it didn't feel too much more than that. It felt very comfortable. Like, oh, if you don't like it, that's fine. We're just here to have a good time. We're just here to spread the message. It didn't feel nearly as nefarious and predatory and icky as it mm. does today. It just didn't. And it's um, funny how the MLMs moved from calling them parties to events as well. Like I noticed that trend change and I mean, in my 20s and when I was a young mum, I loved going to parties. It was a great opportunity to get away from the kids <laughs> and eat a bunch of yummy food. And, look, I wasn't a wealthy person, so we weren't a wealthy family or couple. So I would be like, oh, I'm just going to buy the most cheapest thing they got here and I'll get out and I've had a nice day with my friends and that was it. Yeah, that makes total sense. I remember going to parties like in college with my friends when I went to beauty school, there were a lot of women thinking back now that were selling things. I remember going to like candle parties and makeup parties and just supporting my friend and getting a makeup remover or getting a candle or whatever, you know, and supporting my friends and being like, this is really all I can spend, but thanks so much for the taco bar or thanks so much for the cocktails or whatever and the good conversation. And maybe you meet a couple cool people. It was very social. It was very much in your face in that way where you're hanging out and having like a girl's night at somebody's house. And it, again, like it didn't yeah. feel the way that it feels even today with house parties, it didn't feel the same way that it does now. Definitely not. And I noticed that in particular with Australian culture, if it's American, as I mentioned before, it was almost like Disney or anything like golden books or oh, this is American. It was quite, prestigious to have something American in your household like it was very seen to be of high quality if it was Avon or Mary Kay or I think there was another one called Nutramedics I don't know if that was American or not my mum had some and yeah skincare product if it was American or English it was high quality so it was a brand you know that you recognized I mean that really benefits the MLM to be in a country where, oh, American stuff is really great. I really want to be able to have some of it in my yeah. home because it's hard to come by or it might be expensive otherwise. And so an American company, like an MLM coming in and being able to sell you American lipstick and American products, American snacks, American whatever, I could totally understand jumping at the chance to be able to get that stuff. 100%. My husband's argument is that's just capitalism. So what's wrong with that? And I'm like, well, then they took it too far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. And capitalism in its of itself is a little kind of culty. And you know, you know what I mean? But it really is interesting, the trends and how it grew and how it was popular just simply because it was American. Yeah. And we've seen in the last few sort of years, even just a little bit before COVID happened, Australia started to shift towards you know, we need to start manufacturing a little bit more locally and supporting Australian-made products. And I mentioned to you before that I found out what crunchy means in Northern America. Right. And I realised that a lot of women my age are a little bit crunchy, as in 
wanted to support locally made products that are of high quality and supporting local business and are good for the environment and good for us. So, so you sold the body shop at home. And before we get into the MLM side of the body shop at home, I want to talk about the body shop because you and I were both from the eighties. We both grew up in the nineties. We were teenagers. The body shop was a store at the mall. The body shop was like a step above Bath and Body Works, whereas Bath and Body Works, you've got like your country apple and your sun-kissed raspberry or whatever, you know, uh, and it's very fruity and more younger scents with body sprays. The body shop yes. was just slightly more elevated. They had like very natural, very clean, like the very beginning of like this green beauty movement. Yeah. So full disclosure, I have ADHD. I was diagnosed just towards the end of my time with the MLM. And so when I joined that MLM, the body shop at home, I deep dived because hyper, hyper focusing, I deep dived into, I want to know what this company is. Like I knew it from the nineties, but I needed to know the facts. If I'm going to sell a product, I want to know everything, every dirty little secret. I want to know it all. So I tried to do my research and I still got sucked into it. <laughs> so the body shop, I used to have a little bit of a spiel that I did with people, but, and it's the truth. The body shop began in 1976 from Dame Anita Roddick. She started the body shop. She actually bought the name from a Californian business. I believe it was California and took it back to the UK and yeah, sorry, Berkeley, California, it was. She took it back to the UK and was like, this is a great business model. I'm going to open a shop and then I'm going to open another shop and I'm going to open another shop. So she was really an intelligent woman and she was reusing her packaging. So she was buying, I think it was like urine sample pots and filling them full of product. So she knew she, she was onto something. She was a very smart woman. So she wanted to use ingredients that were you know, sourced from really good suppliers and that's when it all started for her and then it just went crazy and opening thousands of stores throughout America, a UK, through Australia. And so that just happened. It just went crazy and she was very much about the, yeah, ethically sourced, cruelty-free, so she brought in the whole campaigns about you know, against cruelty for animals in testing all natural ingredients, which no, you pick up any packaging of the body shop today and they are not all natural ingredients at all. The comment is that they, she started her business with a motivation to simply make a living for herself and her two daughters while her husband was traveling. I wonder why it ended up being an MLM as well. <laughs> she had to go and, oh, you know what? We're not selling enough in the shops. We need to start getting women to sell it. She went public in 1984 and floated it on the securities market. So it, it was all business for the body shop. It has this sort of nostalgia about it that it's like, and I can remember walking into the stores as a teenager with my little Doc Martens and my backpack on and being like, come on, I got to get my glycerin soap that smells like kiwi or my strawberry soap. You know, that's all I could afford. I couldn't afford the skincare back then. <laughs> You know, my very favorite thing that I ever got from the body shop was like a naturally sourced sea sponge to apply my makeup. And I was like, what? I never even thought about using a sea sponge before. 
this is incredible. Why hasn't anybody taught me this? And it was the first time I ever like got a sponge wet and like sponged makeup on my face. And this was, I mean, this is 20 years, maybe not 20, maybe 10, 15 years before beauty blenders or anything like that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so innovative. I just remember going in there, like buying chapstick, buying lip scrub and being like, oh my God, it helps get the dead stuff off. And this is also right around the time that like Sephora was becoming a thing. Cause I remember there was a Sephora in my mall and those were like the two stores, like hit up the body shop, hit up Sephora and get all my cool beauty, like hack stuff that like nobody else seemed to know about. And the brand itself is still so well known for that. And it has that sense of you walk in there and you kind of feel cool because you're like, you know, you're crunchy and you're walking in there and you're, I am all for the environment and I'm all for women's power and I'm shopping at the body shop. They do a lot of campaigns and marketing around that, which, you know, everyone's entitled to do. But once you start lifting the hood, you start to see a little bit of what's going on in that car and mechanics. So they, there's always a little bit of controversy like over the years going through, because this is the thing I did. I researched things. I'm like, no customers ever asked me, but I wanted to know, was there any bad stuff? You know, it's funny because when I started to see on YouTube, if it was like, is the body shop at home an MLM? I was like, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to watch that. That's just negativity. So why would I? why watch that what i was being taught was it's a multi-channel business so they have their stores and they have their online sales and they have their at-home division so it's like a three-pronged approach Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, 
running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Zsa for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Did anyone ever bring up the fact that like having stores sort of undercuts the reps? So when I joined during COVID, it was a great opportunity because the stores were closed and I actually took a shot of one of the stores and I was like, why would you shop here when you can shop with me whenever you like? (gasps) But yes, it is an issue. So one of the first things that I came up across, I was like, well, why would someone buy from me when they can just walk into a store? Oh, you've got to give them, you've got to show them why they, you know, would buy from you and not in a store. And I'm like, the only reason why anyone would do that is for a good discount because <laughs> we're not stupid. Women aren't stupid, you know. Customers aren't stupid. They want a bargain. And we weren't making the profits there, the margin. So let's talk about the early days when you finally decided, hey, I'm going to join this MLM. What was going through your mind? Where were you at in your life? What was the force driving that decision? Obviously, COVID had hit and everyone was stuck at home. We were in lockdown and I was asked to go to an online party, which is a friend Facebook party. And like, to be honest, I completely missed the party. I ignored all the messages and everything that was programmed into this party and I completely missed it so I watched it back because I was bored and I was sitting on the lounge and I'm like I'm gonna watch this back because they recorded it and the person who ended up being my upline was selling the kit and she demonstrated all the products that were in the kit and then well why pay full price when you can get the kit you don't have to join up as a consultant but you can get the kit and save X amount of dollars. I'm like, yeah, give me the kit. Again, ADHD, didn't even realize it. There's a small kit and a large kit. I'm like, give me the large kit. (laughs) So I spent the money, got the kit, and that was it. I'm like, I got a bargain. Uh, Sucked in, body shop, I won. No, you didn't win. (laughs) So I got the kit and then I got a phone call from this consultant you know you'd be really good at selling this I can tell I'm like "Mm, okay I'm like I'm not getting sucked into this you know and then the language and everything that came from it just massaged my ego a little bit and next minute I'm like yeah I'm, I'm in I'm all in within 
five minutes I was in four groups on Facebook and then it was just like the love bombing and the you're you know welcome and you're amazing and we're such a good community and it's amazing how much I listen to the podcast and go it does not matter which company it is it's this culture and it's like it's just a journey that someone goes on and they come in and they get spat out the end and it's like how can government and regulators not see this as a pattern and go this is toxic this is if it was an employer and this was an industry it'd be like no something's wrong here something has to change so that's my opinion anyway yeah so I joined and within two or three months I was a leader I I did a couple of online parties I didn't do in home because it was COVID and I did what that upline did for me I demonstrated the kit got the kit sealers and created a big team majority of them were like you know I don't want to sell don't bother me don't message me you know but I would touch base with them and I loved it because I got so hyped in it and during that time I wasn't happy in my day job I was surrounded by a bunch of men who sales team and things that made me feel quite like a silly woman and I'd worked for that company for a very long time and I was so angry with them and the more I got the feminism side from the body shop the more messages I got in through that the more I was getting really angry at work and I ended up quitting my job <gasps> wow that is so interesting right because as a woman like we face so much of this toxic masculinity like everywhere like it's built in it's the patriarchy right it's just built in and we're unpacking things and we're learning things and we talk about how mlms go for our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and here your weakness and vulnerability was like not having the community of women at work and like feeling surrounded by this toxic presence and it's being justified by the MLM that you joined that's filling that void and is like, yeah, feminism, quit your job, join us. Like, it's wild. The body shop at home, they don't call themselves the body shop. It's the body shop at home. That's like they're feeding you that message. But if you said to them, I'm going to quit my job, they'd be like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And I'm like, I don't think it's a duty of care. Like now looking back, they wouldn't say that because of a duty of care. I picked up on a few things along the way and I thought it's like, you know, you're smarter than that, but you still go along for the ride. It's like red flags slapping you in the face. You're still going along for the ride. That doesn't make sense. Oh, well, I'll ignore that and keep going. So when I quit my job, I thought everyone would be like, yay, go you, you know, and it was like, ooh she's serious and I'm like well I didn't actually quit my job for your MLM I quit my job because I don't have to put up with that garbage that crap anymore from over there so I've got the MLM to keep me busy and I'll start doing my own thing and deciding what I want to do so it did help me quit my job like that but my boss was like are you sure and I'm like I don't have to put up with your crap anymore mate I'm out so it was a big thing my husband was like what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I, I know what I'm doing. It's okay. <laughs> but yes, their messaging is very much power to women. It's very much in your face. I still have one of their diaries that I have on my desk here because, you know, you don't like, like you've talked about before, it's kind of like a waste to throw things away sometimes. Mm -hmm. But the British shop gives you this 
messaging. It's unstoppable. You're a badass. Power to women on their diary every day. It's like that messaging, you know. What is your why for the week? What is your priority for that week? Yeah, so it's very much, a. it's almost like a well-being MLM as well, the messaging that they're giving. I don't know what it was like in LuLaRoe if that was the same, that you're a woman and you're empowered and. Oh, yeah. It was giving stay-at-home moms the ability to, like, help with the household. I'm like, isn't taking care of the kids and doing all the cooking and all the cleaning and all the laundry and all the shopping and all of the everything enough with helping with the household? Now I need to have a job in the pockets of my time in between all the things I got to do 24 seven. Cool. It was like that. It was like, we give you the ability to make money in those slivers of moments where you can. And it was very empowering. It was very much like we are women who are taking over the world and we're making everybody happy and we're clothing them and we're giving people purpose. And we were encouraging our husbands to quote, quit and retire and become our Lula bros. They call them Lula bros. And I remember being so upset that my ex-husband wouldn't be my Lula bro. Like I just, I felt like betrayed in this really strange way. And he was like, but I like my job. And I was like, but you're not a Lula bro. Because like they were telling me that I needed a Lula bro husband. I needed somebody that was like for me, you know, it was just very strange, but it was that same It's like a feminism sandwich, though, because the bread is still toxic masculinity. It's just the meat is feminism. So you think you're a feminist. You think that you're like, yay, girl power, but it's not real. No. So the body shops always had that feminist, and that's what attracted me to that. It's like I've got a daughter. I want to be feminist. I want to teach her, not be 100% feminist, but I do want to teach her. I'd never got that messaging from them that, you know, your husband is this or anything like that. It just seemed like they target women that are, they want something more in life. They want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be, you know, and we're changing again. Like it's almost like women's rights are changing again. It's like we don't, we want to be successful too. Like we want to have it all and be everything. I used to sell the kit and joining as an opportunity to do something for yourself, which we've heard a lot in other MLMs. But I would say I've only ever did two parties and in the first party I had a young mum come up to me and she said, I want to do what you do. This is amazing. And I was like, (laughs) why? (laughs) Red flag. (laughs) I thought to myself, no, you don't. This this was horrible. (laughs) And because I'd sold it so well, she was a young mum who was stuck at home with a newborn And she was like, you made that so much fun. You've got this great sisterhood. You're all about the environment. You're all about women's rights. Oh, by the way, we do actually sell a product (laughs) that is skincare, if you're interested in that. (laughs) Pyramid. (laughs) So anyway, it is a whole thing. It's like the body shop at home is a whole thing. So this was the other experience I had. So here I am. I've joined and I'm like, yeah, I want to know all the things soon as COVID sort of relaxed its restrictions a little bit, I rocked up in store and I'm like, hey, I'm a consultant. Nice to meet you. And the girl just looked at me as if I was an alien in store. And I went back to my team upline leaders and I said, didn't get the best reaction in store. I would have thought that we're like a team and that they'd be more open to be like, oh, hi, we all sell the same product, you know, like, 
great to have you here, whatever you need. And Because I was like, can I take some photos? Because that's not online yet. This was another issue we had. And they were like, yeah, I guess so. So you know what, me being me, I was like, can I talk to your manager? Then I get the manager. I'm like, hi, I look, I'd love to just ask you some questions. I've started as a consultant and, you know, sometimes I'm going to have customers that can't get a product from me and I'll send them in store to you. And she was like, yeah, oh, look, I've been doing this for like 20 odd years and I guess so. And it just, it was weird. And I thought, okay, I need to ask some questions here now. And this was sort of halfway through and I'm like, why, <laughs> me being me, why, why can't we <laughs> work together? I don't understand this fractured, you have a store, then you have an online sale, like you, they have their online store and then they have their at-home consultants. We all have different product launches. We have different pricing. The online store had better shipping rates than us. So we couldn't even compete with that. And I'm thinking... This is not, okay, my business brain started to kick in and I'm like, this is silly. Like, this is weird. Something's not right here. So as you know, like as you start to go up the pyramid, you, sorry, as you <laughs> go up different levels, you start to get access to information that the plebs, as we call them in Australia, on the low run don't get, which is, oh, look, the reality is you tell your team that, there's problems in the warehouse because we've got new staff. But really the reality is there's a container that's stuck on the ocean and your product's not coming for another three months. So you're going to have to just keep them happy till then, stuff like that. So that was that experience. Like the in-store thing really got me because like they really promote themselves as, oh, we are all-inclusive, we are very, you know, open and warm and just like, whatever you are another thing I noticed is that their branding changed so halfway through it was all very much like their catalog started having a lot of males in it which is great just to be very all-inclusive you know we had a guy on our team which was awesome we really supported him and tried to make him feel welcome I did like we all did but and then yeah their branding changed back they got out of America the at-home side of things and their branding changed back to being all women and no like there was a woman on the cover that had like tattoos and piercings and things and it was like wow this is really funky yeah I'm loving this next minute boom it went back to this branding of white woman doing an in-home party and I thought what's something's off here so how strange how strange for you to be like super into this company and be like okay COVID's lifted I'm so excited to be a rep. I'm going to go into the store. I'm going to introduce, because again, everything that you've been told is that this company is like three prong. We all work together. Everything's great. Even though all the pricing is different, all the products are different, all of the rules are different. And you walk in there and this lady's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And you're like taking pictures of stuff. You're like, oh, I don't have this. I mean, were those items that you were ever going to get? I mean, I wonder what was going through her mind. When she was like, oh, another body shop at home consultant coming in to remind yes. me that there's an MLM attached to this company. Like, how strange. I still have people who say to me, I did not realize that the body shop did an at-home MLM side of things. And I'm like, you go on their website, there's a little button that says join us. And then you go there and it says start your own business. And I'm like, okay, so... It's like their dirty little secret. They do not broadcast the fact that they do an at-home division and 
it obviously struggled in America. It was there and then it left and then it came back again and they closed that. It was actually quite a bizarre experience for me. So one of our team was in a group and a US consultants group and she's like, I'm going to add you. So, you know, their content was terrible, but I'm going to add you in. And, and so I was in this group. Anyway, they launched a new system so that we would all be on one platform. And they were trying to get us to, as consultants, if you've got a cousin in the UK who wants to join the body shop, they can now join under your team internationally. I'm like, okay, this is weird. All right. And like, it's like they spent all this money on it. And then the next minute they pulled the pin on America and the consultants, I felt sorry for them. It was like, I can't believe you just did that. Like they just pulled the pin on them. And I was in this group in the US, a Facebook group. And it was, and this is part of the decline for me, it was a grab at, I can't even describe it. All of these MLM consultants were throwing their business names at these consultants saying, join my team. We're a skincare company. It was like they just went, we need to grab all these consultants. Like now that arm has shut down. What are we going to do with them all? And it was a free for all. It was a bloodbath, <laughs> to be honest. That was an experience. Well, so I looked this up really quick while we were just chatting here because I was curious when the body shop like became an MLM really and when it was obtained by the company that it's owned by now. So it's owned by a company that's called Natura. It's a Brazilian company and they have like tons of products. They have like, they're like a beauty conglomerate. They own uh, part of Avon. They own the body shop. They own a couple different things. So body shop originally yes. after it, like the owner, she sold it to L'Oreal. Yeah. L'Oreal is another huge beauty conglomerate. And in 2018, L'Oreal sold it to Natura. That's right. So in 2018 is when this all sort of blew up. Yeah. And so one thing I found was that the at-home arm was made in the 90s from the original owner. When it was sold to L'Oreal, there was a lot of backlash in the media and from customers saying, we're not going to support you anymore because you've sold out. Right. They tested an animal. Well, at the time, that was what the media was saying, that L'Oreal tested on animals and that, you know, the body shop had sold out by selling to a bigger business. So they obviously didn't have it for that long. And then Natura has come along and purchased it. So I was really surprised when after I joined and went on to, I was like, oh, I wonder who owns the body shop? That's a good question to ask if you're going to invest in a business like, you know, three quarters of your time and effort. So I went on and I did a bit of research. I was like, oh my God, they own Avon. I am not telling any of my customers that because how embarrassing, you know, as soon as I say, yeah, the body shop's also owned by the company that owns Avon. They just go, <laughs> yeah, not a good look for them. So, and then Avon was taken away from Australia in 2018, I believe. So maybe when they bought it, they made that decision. And I wondered at the time then when I was thinking, well, I wonder where all those Avon consultants went. I know a lot of them were older ladies possibly, but I thought mm, maybe they joined the body shop at home. Well, in 2020, Natura began trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And in the same year, 
after they acquired Avon, it turned Natura into the world's fourth largest beauty conglomerate. And they owned a brand which I believe is pronounced Aesop, possibly wrong. I don't know my skincare, and that was probably why I failed at the Body Shop at Home. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that was part of my sales pitch too with the Body Shop is like, look, I'm not a skincare snob. I just know that these products work and they're good for the environment and they're good for us because they have the right message behind them. But they bought this Australian brand called Aesop and I think they've just sold it again. They sold it in January of 2023. So they owned it for about 10 years. There's talk in the media if you Google it now that they're going to sell the body shop as well. That might not happen. I don't know. But I thought, well, they're a big company, you know, and yeah, because they're on the stock market, you can actually access their results for each quarter and things, which I've done and had a quick look through because it's very interesting. It's not pretty. So, yeah, so that was the information about the company and they had a headquarters in uh, Melbourne here in Australia and they had, like, the general manager, I believe, and they had a couple of trainers that we would interact with. I believe one was ex-Tupperware of some sort. We did a lot of online training and one of the online trainings was like an onboarding, you know, once you join, then they get you on to these training sessions. And that was where I heard that first, oh, you know, we are not a pyramid scheme. We are not an, I can't remember if she said it was not, we are not an MLM, but it was, we are a multi-level company, multi-directional company. Okay. All right. That's good enough for me. Let's, you know, get on that. The other thing that's really interesting is that so many people that sell for MLMs believe that they are small business owners, believe that they're just a mom who's making money for their kids' dance lessons or summer camp or whatever. And then we come to find out that the body shop at home, I mean, we knew it was owned by a big company, but it's owned by the fourth largest beauty conglomerate. Yeah. So it's not really a small company. It's a massive corporation that's owned by a conglomerate of massive corporations. And so when you look back, and this is good, I mean, you could do this with any MLM, you can figure out who owns them and who owns them and who owns them and yeah. trace it all the way back to the origin. I mean, here it is again. These companies are selling each other back and forth, just trading like baseball players, like trading cards. Like, here you go. We don't want this anymore. We'll keep it for 10 years and sell it to this person. We'll buy this from L'Oreal and then we'll sell them our different conglomerate. So it's the same companies that are being traded and sold in between. It's a massive corporation. There is nothing about this company that is small at all. And it's that realization in the reality at that time too, that I went through. It's like, you're not a salesperson for this company. You know, you're not an independent business owner. I really think that it's disgusting how they use that with women to say, you can start your own business. Like, no, I actually own a business now and have before. And unless you're registered in Australia with 
you know, a registered business name, your tax, everything to do with tax. There's a process you have to go through to own a business. And I know, like, without going into it, I went through all the things that you've had other guests go through. I asked questions about tax. Oh, we don't know. We'll get back to you about that. No, never got back. Sent me a really complicated spreadsheet that I didn't understand. I went, nah, can't, too long, didn't read. And then when it comes to the training, and I was doing a lot of cross-training across our team, I felt I had a genuine care and wanted to train people on how to be a good consultant. Like I, it wasn't because I was trying to deceit people out of money or anything. And people's women's mental health, you could tell that people were struggling. And the more I went up the line, the more I, the terminology changed. It stopped being all fun and friendly and nice and started to become really like pressure and get them to do this and get them to do that and make sure you don't bring this up and make sure you don't bring that up and talk around this issue and talk around that issue. And in reality, in the real world, running a business or being a manager of people, it doesn't work like that. So it was really, it got really grubby really fast. So you joined in December of 2021. How long did you last? Probably a year after that, I started to get out. It was after I went to the big annual convention. (laughs) (laughs) I'd already started to feel, I was like, I've started to feel a little bit deflated and I felt a bit icky about a few things that were happening and the red flags were starting to pop up and I'm pushing them aside and I'm pushing through, you know. Anyway, spent oh thousands of dollars of my own money to get there, like not $10,000 but probably $2,000, you know, bought a dress, bought the shoes, bought the airplane ticket to get there, bought the ticket to get in, bought the accommodation to stay there and just walked in and thought, okay, this is a cult. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I looked around and I thought you know what I always like to put myself in other people's shoes and I thought to myself these poor women and one thing that I've learned is that Huns are not born Huns are programmed and I looked at these women and I was listening to the feedback on stage and look the only thing I got out of it was the external public speaker you know motivational speaker they brought in she was fantastic But the rest of it, I just thought, I was all excited. I'm like, yeah, they're going to give us some awesome training tips from sales and everything like that. And it was just fluff, fluff and garbage coming at us, this massive auditorium with all these women. And so that was like day one. And then I went to a leader's lunch and sat there and listened through that. And the head of training got up in front of us all and started doing her talk and I think somebody at some point said something about not wearing your slippers at your desk in your home office. You should be dressed for the job you want and wear heels sort of thing. And I just was like, this is a load of crap. And then that was like, <laughs> God love them. The last night when everyone's drinking and it turns to that big party, like I don't know what it's like in the States at these conventions, but in Australia, everyone was drinking. Like it was a massive booze fest. These women were going wild, crazy. The trainer from the company was stage diving and everyone was so drunk. And I just was like, 
hey, don't get me wrong, I love a party. I love a beer. I love a party, mate. But this was like, it was culty. It was culty, culty. And I got home and I thought, I just had to get through it. I didn't say anything to my husband about it all, but I think he sensed in me that I was going, I slowly, you know, you start to pull yourself out of it. And I'm like, how do I stop commenting on the group chat, stop helping everybody? I actually put a sign up on my desk that said, don't buy any more stock. (gasps) Because this is the other thing, right? And this is this MLM thing. You start to smell a rat. So they're like, we don't want you to hold stock. We don't want you to. And I'm thinking, why do they keep saying that? Why wouldn't you want your consultants to have stock, right, if you're going to sell it? And then I read through their, because I do these things, I read through their terms and conditions and they had to actually buy that stock back off you if you ever left. It was part of their terms and conditions. And I think looking through the DSA here in Australia, it's completely modelled on the DSA in America. It's 100% modelled on it. I've learnt a lot about it through your podcast, which is great. And the whole point of learning about it is so I can educate other people about it, about the direct selling industry and how predatory it is in Australia and all over the world. So what was the final straw? Well, look, the women that were in that team with me, you know what? Yeah, I saw some dodgy stuff, but innovative, smart, like would absolutely smash it. And in certain industries, you know, if they really were in it for themselves and didn't realise that there was a bigger, a brother looking over them, You know in Barbie how she rocks into the boardroom and they're all men? I'm not saying that there's all men sitting at the top, but it's just like, nah. It's mostly men. (laughs) I will let you know. It is mostly men at the top of MLM. But at the end of the day, there's this corporate side of things. And I think consumers are really waking up to that. Women are waking up to it and consumers are. So when I to get out of it, I, yeah, as I said, I started pulling myself out slowly. A few people reached out to me and were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I just need a break. You know, I need some time out. That actual big mega hun on our group never contacted me and my direct upline, I never heard from her again, but that's okay. I understand, you know, and if anything, the Life After MLM podcast and things have just taught me that they'll either get out one day and they'll understand and they'll realise or they'll join another one and they'll just keep going, you know. But I actually just this week had an old team, a lady that was down below someone else somewhere along the team contact me and ask me if I'd like to buy some Tupperware from her. And I said, oh, no, thank you. Look, since leaving my experiences at the body shop at home, I don't support MLMs anymore, but I really do wish you the best and I hope you take care of yourself. And that was genuine, you know, and then she sort of come back at me saying she got defensive, but I didn't write back because I thought I don't need to say any more than that, you know. That's the sign of somebody who's healing, you know, like you are really thinking about the things and you're like, yeah, no, thank you. I just don't want to be a part of it. And even with the wall of text, I'm sure you got like, Mm-mm, they're not pyramid schemes. Pyramid schemes are illegal. You're like, I don't need to respond to that because I don't need to. It's not going to go anywhere. It's a it's an endless cycle. It's an endless chain of conversation that you don't need to get stuck in. And like just your ability to have the forethought to be like, this isn't going to go anywhere. I'm just going to let it go. That's healing. Yeah. And you want to be, if she contacts me in six months time and says, 
I got out and, you know, I'll say, have a listen to Roberta or, you know, (laughs) go online and have a look here or, you know, that's kind of where that goes. So you've been MLM free for almost a year, working your way out, listening to the podcast, watching the documentaries, reading the articles, learning more things, helping more people understand. How has it felt the past year that you've been out? Really good and like uh, very healing in a way. I actually, I did the whole thing where I apologized to people. I apologized to my mum because she's like, do not send me any more body shop products. I'm sick of them. I'm like, oh, okay. I apologized to my closest friends. I never pressured them to buy, but I gave them a lot of samples and things. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, buy, 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 you know? So I apologized to people around me. And a lot of them were like, you were fine. It's nothing. I'm like, no, this is actually a big problem. MLMs are a problem. I got sucked into it. It's a cult. And so it's like educating them by apologizing and saying, you know, don't judge me too harshly, but I'm sorry I did that to you. And everyone's been really good about it. And a lot of them have said, I didn't even realize the body shop at home was an MLM. And a few of them said, you know what? I was actually really surprised that you did that. I didn't think that you would go into that type of world. And I was like, why didn't you say something at the time? (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered, Jules. You would have joined anyway and you would have been like, I've got haters now. Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing? One thing that I've learned and one thing I'd love to see change is instead of referring to them as the pyramid scheme because it's always, it's not a pyramid scheme, they're illegal. It's a scheme. It's a scam. By just saying, you know what, we'll move away from calling. If that's what you're coming back at us with, it's, oh, it's not a pyramid scheme so it's not illegal, all right, but it is a scam and it is predatory and it is, who cares if it's, you know, illegal it's a crappy business model. It's crap. It's not good for women's mental health. It's not good for people's financial situations. Go and get a job and just choose where you want to be and have more rights around you than being in an MLM. Yeah. I think there are so many people that are afraid to make that correlation and to make that connection that MLMs are pyramid schemes. And so because they've been taught like pyramid schemes are legal and it's like I say, you know, like there's only one kind of company that teaches you what to say when someone comes around and says, what do we say when people call us a pyramid scheme? Right. Yeah. And, and it is like it's a cult. It's a scam. It's a fraud. All of it. And it's really hard to come to terms with that. Yeah. I remember that first training session when the trainer from the head office is saying we are not a pyramid scheme. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> oh, do I need to learn this? Oh, crap. I better go and do some research. If What is, like, I kind of knew what a pyramid scheme is. I better go and research what one is so I know that we're not one. Thanks, you know. But, yeah, Ponzi scheme is the other big one that our parents taught us, you know, be wary of Ponzi schemes or people asking for money. Isn't it wild? Like, they've come up with so many different names just to hide the fact that they are this thing that they call it direct sales, network marketing, multi-level sales, multi-level marketing, transformational marketing, social selling, social marketing, so many words and so many phrases to hide the fact that this is what this is. And the way I look at it, the reality is you've got this big business sitting up there going, 
we can have a workforce that we don't have to employ. We don't have to pay what we call in Australia super, which is your 401k, I believe. Even in America, you guys have health insurance that a company has to pay. You imagine those businesses going, we have a full workforce here. We don't have to look after them. We don't have to care about their mental health. We just give them the product, give them the tools that they need. And if they spit out the other end, someone else will replace them. Someone else will come along. So that's what it is. It's a cheap workforce that they don't have to regulate. It's a bunch of unpaid promoters just telling everybody how great it is. Yeah, and that doesn't sound like the body shop, does it? Right. That doesn't sound like something the body shop would do because the body shop is like this fantastic company that loves animals and loves the environment and is all inclusive. That doesn't sound like something that the body shop would really be into. Hmm. No. And yet it is. Yeah, because the corporate side of the body shop is like, you know what we could do? We could open up a legal pyramid scheme and all of our super fans will buy three years worth of product in the first week and we'll make a ton of money and then we'll tell them they can't return it and they'll be stuck with it. Like, it's like, yeah. And if it wasn't about recruiting people, then make it a shopping club. Make it like you get a discount, you can get a kit, you can join. You don't have to have teams above and below and all this garbage and all this competitive stuff and all of this fake, you know, putting people on pedestals and things. We could just have a shopping club where you sign up and you get a discount and if you sell it to your friend, you get commission. Great. Why do I have to have a team? Why do I have to have someone above me and people in groups chatting about their team and did you see what she said and did you see what that person did and all the, that horrible backstabbing and horrible toxic blech. Like in Australia, the rule is they've made some new laws. So like if you're a builder and you contract someone to come in and do your bricklaying on your house, that builder has to pay superannuation for that contractor so that they are putting money aside for their retirement. It's now a law thing like in certain industries because contractors weren't putting super aside for themselves. They weren't contributing to their 401k and things which is great. The government's like, we don't want to support these people when they're old. And then you think, you know, they're not educating people in an MLM about that. They're not saying you're a contractor and make sure you take care of yourself, make sure you pay your tax and make sure you put some money aside for your future. Mm -mm. No. Well, they want all of that money that you make to be put back into the business because in four years time is when you're going to be making so much money, you'll be able to pay all your taxes and all of your bills and all of your fees then. Right now, we have to really focus on putting everything back into the business to grow it. That's how businesses work. You know, businesses don't make money. That's because you're putting, I mean, there's so much platitude in this bullshit that's like semi half truths, just enough that if you're not in the business world, or you're not a business major, or you don't have a business degree, then you'd be like, oh, that sounds about right. That for what I know from business, that sounds right. And it's not right. And everybody just floats through and it just causes so much financial devastation down the road. And everybody says to me, I didn't know. No one told me. No one prepared me. Nobody taught me. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, because we've either been employees or stay-at-home mums who, I mean, majority of women have had jobs, basically, these days. It's very rare that you will find a mum who hasn't had a job at some point. And we've been employees but we've never been business owners, so we're not taught things like that. Right. We don't know. And if you've got someone with an agenda who's going to educate you, you're going to be fed bullshit. 
is true. It's absolutely true. Yes. Well, I want to say thank you because this has been really an interesting conversation about MLMs in another country we haven't touched on yet and an MLM we haven't been able to talk about and actually getting into like the Natura conversation because Avon's come up and like these other MLMs have come up, but that MLM conglomerate, they're not the only one. There are a couple other out there. Maybe we'll talk about them in the future. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, aside from being a corporation, it's a conglomerate. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting that they're still able to convince people that they own their own small business, knowing what they know. Yeah. So I want to say thank you for coming and sharing this. It has been such a delight. Are you ready to do some rapid fire questions? All right. Hit me, Roberta. Hit me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jules, give me one word that encompasses how you feel about MLMs. Oh, well, this is an Aussie word. It's dodgy. I love it. I love it. Dodgy means it's scammy. Like if I said to a friend, oh, oh my God, stay away from them. They're so dodgy. They'd know straight away what I meant. <laughs> Give me a warning to somebody that wants to join an MLM. So, well, the first thing I would do is really congratulate them on looking for something. They're searching for something, right? So I would warn them against it. But at first I'd be like, you know what? That's awesome that you want to do something for yourself or that you want to earn a bit of extra income. Do a bit of research. This is my experience of what I went through. I'd probably refer them to the podcast because there's so many women that have had so and men who've had so many different experiences. But I would tell them, don't waste your time and money there. Either go and invest it in a course or something that you want to do to better yourself to get the job you want, or go and start in a casual job somewhere and be looked after as an employee. That's what I'd say. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? Oh, it's a hard one because we're in Australia. Like I know everyone always says Amway. Um, do you know what? The more I've learned, like I probably would have said the body shop at home when I was really pissed off, when I cranky when I left. But the more I learn about it is the ones that I hear about from the states that don't seem to be in Australia yet is the wellness industry, the fitness side of things and the eating side of things. That's scary. When I hear stuff about that, I think to myself, I would hate anyone I know to come in contact with that. Oh, God, the wellness. Oh, what is the hardest lesson that you learned in MLM? That oh, the hardest lesson that I learned was about myself, and that is that predators exist. And just because you're a good person, it doesn't mean you won't get chewed up and spat out just because you're a smart person and a smart woman in business it does not mean that you won't get sucked down the rabbit hole and chewed up and spat out the other side mentally it wrecked me I wouldn't say it was a breakdown but I, it's taken me a long time to get back to social media I see a psychologist like on a regular basis and things now but it, yeah lesson learned Bernie don't touch <laughs> And then give me a positive takeaway from your experience at MLM. It just proves that women and men, but women in particular, are very, we go searching for things and we need something extra in our lives. And that's the positive I've learned that find it in other places. You don't have to find it in a pay to play situation like that. You don't have to invest your time and money that way, that you can find it in other areas. Well, Thank you so much, Jules, for coming on the show and for giving us a glimpse into what's happening in the MLM world down under. 
because I was very curious. On behalf of all of the Aussies and Kiwis that are listening, because we kind of come as a package, thank you so much for everything that you do. We are listening from down here and starting our own little movement, I think. Definitely. We appreciate everything, all the time and energy that you've put into this. You've changed many people's lives all over the world. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in Life After MLM. See you next time, Hans.